0: Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John, and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. If you have a Bible with you, you can find your way to the New Testament book of Titus. We'll be there for a little bit. I think we're going to end up in Ephesians for a little bit. I think we're going to end up in Genesis for a little bit. If you have a Bible, Titus chapter 2. Continuing this week, we started a new series last week on Family Matters, a series seeking to bring biblical definition to the family, clarity to the roles, clarity to its members. This series is intended to equip us as God's people to engage in the spiritual battle that is raging over the family in our day. We must not think this is new We must not think this is out of nowhere. Family, as we discussed last week, has been under attack since it first existed in the Garden of Eden when the serpent, more cunning and crafty than any other creation, found Eve and distorted God's word that is the work of the devil. To distort God's word, we often think that the work of the devil is to tempt us and to cause us to sin. Biblically, the work of the devil is to twist and malign the word of God so as to cause the wickedness of your own heart to do what it wants. That is the work of the devil. And he does this in many ways and in vicious ways, and we see him doing this in our day in regards to the family. We talked last week that this Family Matters series will touch on every major hot-button issue of our day. It's not going to leave really anything alone. It's not going to leave any one person alone because none of us have the family all figured out. There is no perfect parent. There is no perfect child. There is no perfect family. We are all, in fact, a wreck because we are descended from Adam who could not perfectly obey God. Yet, through faith in Jesus Christ, we are born again into a new family because Jesus, the Son of God, Son of Man, did perfectly obey. Obey God the Father in heaven. This message is for everyone. We must understand all of the roles in the family. There's not a role in the family that we as Christians don't need to understand. We need to understand all of them. So if you are a man, husband, father, you need to understand your role and you need to understand that of wife, mother, son, and daughter. And then you can move those. Titles around, those roles around, and understand that you all need to understand them. Women, you need to understand. Husband, father, son, daughter. Children, you need to understand. Mother, father, son, daughter. Every role must be understood by us as we look at God's Word. Today, we focus on the man. Family matters, the man. Men, I want you specifically to take careful note of what we are called to be. The Bible. Does not leave the man alone. In fact, it doesn't leave the woman or the children alone either, but the man gets extra, in my opinion, that's all it is, take with what you want. The man gets extra biblical attention in the family. It has been put on the man as we'll discuss this morning, to lead. Interesting to me, we had a a multi-church men's breakfast yesterday. I was thankful for the 20 or so guys that went from here, uh, joined together at Faith Church with the men of Faith Church. And uh, I don't know, there were six other churches present, and I don't know if there were 75 or 100 guys in the room. I don't know. Uh, But there were some men at my table who are in the room this morning who at the end of yesterday's discussion I looked at and simply said, the sermon was done before we came here. And then we had our Sunday school this morning with the men. And ladies, I I apologize that I don't know exactly what you spoke about this morning, but the men had our Sunday school this morning. And I don't exactly know where Charlie was hoping to go, but the conversation in the room took it to responsibilities of men. It's very interesting to me. I've often said, when God says anything, you pay attention. When God says something more than once, you really pay attention. To the men of the church, God has been speaking to us about our roles as men, and he will continue So we must be paying attention. Women, children, I want you also paying attention to the role of man in the family. Family matters, the man. My goal today is very simple. To equip us with a greater view of biblical manhood. Now, this is a topic that I could probably host a multi-month conference on every day. We were talking about this yesterday in our van ride home from the men's breakfast. There are so many Tentacles that stretch out from biblical manhood, it's not possible for me to cover that in this short time. So I will give some highlights and you will take your word home and you will continue looking at what God says about biblical manhood. I hope today to equip us with a greater view of biblical manhood that is grounded in a greater view of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are a man, specifically if you are a Christian man, and you are not looking to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the examples of other Christian men, and I will say healthy Christian men, you're looking in the wrong places. If, if the first thing that you go to as a man in your life, the first example that you go to is not the Lord Jesus Christ, you're starting on the wrong plane. Your trajectory is already off at that point in time. We must always be looking to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our culture continues to diminish and to write off the necessity of man. Yesterday's topic, we talked about it being good to be a man. Men in the room, the culture wants you to think that there is a problem with you if you are a man. God made man in his image and according to his likeness. It is good to be made by God as a man. And the culture would continue to diminish this and to write off the good and necessary role of man. Add to that what the Bible says in Genesis 3.16 is the contrary desire of the woman toward the man. God said to the woman, your desire will be contrary to your husband, but he will rule over you. So now we have two things working that are difficult for us. The culture, which is defined by the principalities of darkness. Your own, ladies, your own contrary heart as a result of the curse. And one more thing, Satan's deception and distortion of God's word regarding the truth of all of those things. The Bible says the woman's desire will be contrary to her husband. The culture has no, they have no compass, you understand. Don't ever listen to anybody talking about the world having a a moral compass. The world does not have a moral compass. If they do, it's broken. It does not point north or south or east or west. It's like in that movie with that pirate where it just keeps spinning. That's what the world's morality compass is doing. If you want to be a good person and have good morals, do what the Bible says. If you are a Christian, you must obey what the Bible says. Family matters, the man. We must pay very careful attention to what the Bible says about men. Titus chapter 2, verse 2. Older men are to be dignified, I'm sorry, are to be sober minded, dignified, self controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Would you pray with me today? God, I pray, Father, that you would help me as I talk about this topic. I thank you for the work that you are doing in my life regarding this topic. I pray, Father, that you would stir in the hearts of those men that are gathered here today to pay attention to and to work, to obey and align with what your word says is a godly man, a biblical man. Father, I pray that you would give strength for us as men to cast off the words of the world and the deception of the enemy. Father, and to cling with all of our life's work to what you have said we are to be. Father, I pray for women in the room to be praying for their spouses, for their sons, for other men to be what you have defined. Father, I pray for children in the room to be able to look to the men of our church and to see examples of godly manhood. We need your help in all of these things. Father, I pray this morning that as your word is taught in a great many places and especially here, I pray that you would bring the sinner to humble repentance and salvation. Father, I pray that the holiness of your people would be promoted as we learn how to be men defined by your word. Help us to be holy men. Father, I pray that Christ the Savior would be exalted. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. Before a man can be a husband or a father, he must learn to be a man. This might sound extremely Simple, or you might say, that's an ignorant statement. No, I don't believe so. The Apostle Paul himself wrote, when I was a child, when I became a man. We must understand that biblical manhood is not defined by your accomplishments. It's not defined by your achievements. It's not defined by an age attached to your name. I don't care if you are young or you are old. Manhood is defined by God. And manhood is recognized in our obedience to God. We would say in our culture, I think we would say in our culture, that boys become men at 18, maybe 21. That's when you become a man. Well, this defies other cultures around the world, where 12 and 13-year-old boys are more men than most 50 or 60-year-old boys. Manhood is not defined by an age. It is true that as we grow, we reason and learn and our mind develops because for the young boys in the room, they have not yet experienced the thing that older boys in the room know they will. We've not experienced everything. Our reasoning doesn't work. The frontal lobe is still expanding and developing. So there are things that must be experienced. Before a man can be a husband or a father, he must learn how to be a man. Now, you may be in the room, and you may be a husband or a father. I hope you have learned or are learning, is probably the better way to say it, how to be a man. I hope that you're not sitting here this morning thinking, I've already got that figured out, because I promise you don't. If you did, you would be free from error. and There's only one who did that. We're going to mess up. I remind my children, probably not as often as I should especially my oldest. I've never been a father to you at this age before. Now, my youngest son will have the benefit of me having raised an older son, and by the time he gets to 12 years old, I'll have more experience with a 12-year-old because I raised one. But they're different, so my parenting of them will be different also. There's no rule, do you understand? God has made us all unique, so parents of multiple children, if you only have one child, I mean, it's tough work, but oh, wow. Multiple children, you gain experience and you learn and grow. And just as you have to have experience as a parent, you have to have experience as a man before you can be a husband or a father. What does that experience need to be? It needs to be an experience, rather an encounter, moreover a surrender to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Any hope that you have to be a good man must be wrapped up In the knowledge of Jesus, I made this note. We are riddled with ignorance. The world's message would say we are riddled with innocence. We're innocent. Oh, they're so innocent. They're innocent. No, we're ignorant. The Bible says there's not one that's innocent. So it's not that we're innocent. It's that we're ignorant. And now, when I say ignorant, I am aware that some people in the room are probably offended by that word. We shouldn't view ignorance as an offensive word. The reality to ignorance is that it means we don't know something that would be beneficial to us. We're ignorant. What are we ignorant to? We are ignorant to the truth of God's word because of the problem of sin. Adam's failure in the garden made humanity ignorant to God's truth, in need of God's truth, but unable to understand or grasp God's truth without the work of the Holy Spirit. We are ignorant. Humankind stands condemned before God because of sin. Our sin has made us ignorant to the truth. We need God's help to know the truth. We know that young children cannot reason between right and wrong, safety and harm, good and evil. And even as we get older, by the time we hit maybe our, I don't know, whatever, middle 20s, by the time we're 40, 60, We look at a younger generation and say, what is wrong with them? While forgetting that we also were that younger generation at one point who could not reason as we do now. This is where God's word with the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians is so helpful. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put off childish ways. Due to our fallen state as adults, we also struggle to reason. We still get things wrong in our reasoning. We need the Holy Spirit to enlighten the truth that God the Father has declared through God the Son. Here's your first point, note takers, for today. Your first point, write this down. Manhood is defined by God and real men are godly men. Manhood is defined by God And real men are godly men. I want you to know what I said. They are godly men, not perfect. Godly men are not perfect men. They are holy men who recognize their failure, who submit in confession and repentance before God their failings and strive to live a better life according to the truth of God's word. Manhood is defined by God, and real men are godly men. Single ladies. In a day that we teach about men, you probably didn't expect to hear single ladies, but I want to talk to the single women in the room for a moment. If in your life God brings a man into your path and feelings develop for that man, if he is not a born again, Christ following believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, get away. If you're in a relationship right now with a man who is not a Christian, you're here, he's not, because he thinks that what you're doing is strange, but he feels so strongly about you. Get away from him. Fathers of young women in the room, you're welcome. I'll take it for you today. Just go ahead and have a seat for a moment. If he is not a born again believer and follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, get away. I do not care how good looking, I do not care how charming. I do not care his bank account, his career path. I don't care. Get away. Manhood is defined by God, and real men are godly men. And single ladies in this room this morning, you deserve a godly man and nothing less. You deserve a God-fearing, honest, hardworking, godly man. Every man, every husband, every father needs these qualities that we just read in Titus chapter 2. Paul lays these out to Titus. It's interesting if you'll direct your attention to verse 1 of Titus chapter 2. I did not read that, but if you'll direct your attention to it, you'll see. Paul writes to Titus and says, As for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. This is an interesting statement because what he's just laid out in chapter 1 is the need for elders to oversee the church and to rebuke those who don't agree with sound doctrine. Titus' assignment is the island of Crete, And Paul says in verse 12, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said that Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Earlier he says there are those who are disturbing, they're deceivers, empty talkers, upsetting whole families. By teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. At the end of chapter 1, chapter 2 begins this letter that Paul writes, As for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Because of what the Cretans are, Titus, they need the truth that you've been entrusted with. And then he says, this is fascinating, Teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be. So now, as we begin talking about manhood, and as we begin talking about biblical manhood, now we have a frame of reference that biblical manhood flows out of the pure, unadulterated, non-distorted teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ and nothing else. Older men are to be. As the men have occasion to gather here, we just did a few Friday nights ago out in the barn. It was a little chilly, but we ate some good food. Older men are to be. We've been discussing this very verse. We've gone through... Two words so far. Word by word, we've looked at the first phrase, older men are to be. We've looked at sober-minded, and we've looked at dignified. As we have occasion to come around this verse as men, we've been talking about. If you're a man in this room, you're older than another man in this room. By man, I mean biological male, because God created them male and female. If you're here and you are a man, you are older than another man in this room. So when the Bible says older men are to be, I don't want you teenager, young adult men to space out and think he's talking about them what are in their 50s and 60s. No, if you're here and you are male as God made you, I am talking to you. Older men are to be. You are to be. You are to be growing in. Now, we have a great problem. Are to be, but we are not. Older men are to be But we are not by nature what this defines, and this is where we can biblically understand. We must learn how to be a man. Look what Paul goes on to say. Older men are to be sober-minded. I'm not going to draw all of these out because we would be here for three or four hours, but I'm going to give you a quick statement about each one of them. Sober-minded, that is temperate in all things. Nothing has mastery over you. No substance, no material. You have control in your life over things that would pull you and distract you, sober-minded, temperate in all things. You're not governed by your passions. You're not governed by a substance. You're not governed by a material. You are governed by God, His Word, and the Holy Spirit. Dignified. That is, carrying yourself well in every situation. You know when to have fun. You know when to be serious. You understand the gravity of various situations and you know how to act accordingly, dignified, self-controlled. You have mastered or are mastering the desires of your flesh and aren't they many? You know or are learning how to govern your speech and your actions. How many men in the room remember the day when whatever you wanted to say was exactly what you said and maybe it's still today. Self-control teaches us that I don't always say what I have to say. I'm a father to two sons and when I teach them about self-control, I teach them this simple statement. Self-control is you not doing what you want to do. That's self-control. Practicing restraint. I want to say this and boy, I tell you, I'm a talker so I want to say things all the time. Several in this room know that when a thought comes into my mind, it typically comes out of my mouth. Self control is realizing I don't always have to do that. And I'm learning that. God is helping me. I need God to do that, or I would never shut up. Self control, do you have mastered or are mastering the desires of your flesh? You know or are learning how to govern your speech and your actions. You have surrendered or are surrendering your life in submission to God. Self control is your surrender and submission to God. Ladies, it said older men are to be, but you do very well to pay attention to these as well. Next week we'll talk about family matters and the woman, and we'll move down in Titus chapter two a little further. Sound in faith. This is a big one. I was having a conversation with a man in the church yesterday about it. Sound in faith. What does that mean? It means that you are a sound believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have a firm grasp of, on what the Christian faith is, and you can talk about that with other people. One, it means that. It also means that you are a student of the Bible. It doesn't mean that you're a scholar. It doesn't mean that you're a theologian in your own eyes, yet that's exactly what God makes you when he makes you a Christian. Study to show yourself approved a workman unto God. But you are daily pursuing the truth of God's word. As a Christian man, you are making an effort daily to open, to read, to learn, to understand, to talk about, to reproduce to other people the truth of God's word. But most importantly, you are opening God's word so that you yourself may be sound in faith and have a right relationship with God. How will you have a relationship with God if you don't read his terms of the relationship? To know God and to follow God. Better today than yesterday, sound in faith, also sound in love, not living for the inflamed passions of the flesh. Now, this is very hard for men because our passions are inflamed because that's how God made us and the fall ruined it. Every man in the room has struggled with looking at the flesh of another woman. If you haven't, I say you're a liar. Why do we struggle with that? Because God made man in his image to desire woman, and the fall ruined it. And now we have to cover our eyes everywhere we go or our passions are inflamed. These are things that most pastors don't want to talk about. Young men, listen to me. God made you to like women. God made you to like women rightly in a right relationship defined by God in the holy covenant and ordinance of marriage and nowhere else. We were made that way. Maybe there are men in the room who are like, I forgot what those days are like. No, you haven't. Don't kid yourself. Don't deceive yourself. God made us that way. And while there is breath in our lungs from age 9 to 99, men are made with passions that are inflamed And as we are sound in love, those passions come under control. They come into submission to God. Sound in love, not inflamed by earthly passions, but deeply loving God and genuinely loving others. Sound in steadfastness. You have become or are becoming the rock of your family. When a man is sound in steadfastness, you are becoming that bulwark that against whatever may come, you are standing safe and secure, first in your belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, and second, in your confidence that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. You are sound in steadfastness. I will not be moved. You are sound in speech, Paul would write to Timothy, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Manhood is defined by God, and real men are godly men. And these points in Titus chapter 2 are major points of definition for biblical manhood. To every man in the room, sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, sound in love, sound in steadfastness, that is our target we now, as men, have a direction to go together with one another to challenge, discuss, talk, work, hold accountable, and raise up the younger men in the room to also be these things. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put off childish ways. Men put off childish ways, and put on these godly ways. The book of Ephesians, chapter 5. Turn to Ephesians, chapter 5. Before a man can be a husband or a father, he must learn to be a man. Not every man will become a husband or a father. But some will. Many will. In fact, I love to make the argument that society really hates that Every man should become a husband and a father. God made humankind to marry and reproduce. Every man should get married and have kids, and as many of them as you can. But the fall broke us. The fall distorts our view of what life should be. I'm I'm never getting married. (laughs) I'm never having children. Those thoughts, this might be, I might crunch some toes. Those are unbiblical, ungodly thoughts. God says, Let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. And male and female create, Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27. Why? And he commanded them, Be fruitful and fill the earth. That's the directive of mankind from God. So for people, I'm not surprised by the world. When the world sins, they're doing what they know by nature. When in the church, our view becomes, I'm not marrying, I'm not having children, there's something skewed in the wrong direction in the heart of that thought. You have to take that up with God and his word. I'd love to talk with you more. I understand that might be offensive to some. Some in the room may be like, Pastor, I want nothing more, than I'm not, but I'm not able. I understand that's a real thing. The fall has broken everything. It's all broken. To every man that can be married, I, I pray that you are. The Bible doesn't say you must. I think you should. Paul says, I wish that everyone remain as I am, free and unrestrained by anything in the world. He wasn't a married man. He didn't have children. And I look back at the Apostle Paul and say, I don't know how you did that. I thank God every day for my wife and my kids. Everybody's made differently. Not everybody will. I pray that everybody does. Before you can be a husband, you must be a godly man. However, if you hope to be a good husband... You must look to the perfect husband, the Lord Jesus Christ. Good men fail at being good husbands because they don't have an example to look at. Godly men can fail at being good husbands if they stop looking at Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, verses Well, you know, I'm not going to read all these, but I want you to read 22 through 33. And the reason I'm not going to read them all is because over the course of this series, we're going to talk about all of them. We're going to specifically look at, direct your attention, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her In the church, we must understand as God's people that the holy ordinance and covenant of marriage is not simply a trip down an aisle. It's not the exchange of a ring. It's not the signing of a license. In some cases, it's not a trip to the local magistrate. It's not just spending the rest of your life with your best friend. Marriage is a covenant that God gave between man and woman And marriage is a reflection of how God, how the Lord Jesus loved a people. Marriage is the ultimate illustration used undoubtedly throughout God's word. It is the greatest illustration of how God has loved us and made us his own people. As God's people, we must elevate our thoughts on marriage. And in my vast experience of 13 and a half years... Nothing has elevated my thoughts on being a husband other than looking at the greatest example of a husband ever, the Lord Jesus Christ. Men, if you're struggling to be a husband, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. I promise he will straighten out your error in husbandry. Husbands are the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. And husbands must love their wives as Christ loved the church. You can see easily the countercultural view to that. Don't need a man. I do better than him. I know better than him. This is the view of the culture. It's broken and sinful. It's not God's design. And so when that starts to creep in, and ladies in the church, don't think I don't know that those thoughts flood in on you at times. God said... Your desire will be contrary to your husband's. That's wrapped up in the fall of man. But husbands, by God's design, are the head of the wife. You know what that means? It means that you should probably look to his leadership more than taking it upon yourself at times. He doesn't make decisions. Make him make decisions by not making the decision yourself. Everybody's welcome to this great big family marriage counseling session for the last week and the next three. Like, People are like, I'm writing that down. I'm watching husbands and wives glance and nudge and write that down for Then You better do that. Husbands, you may say of yourself, I'm not a leader, I'm a follower. I'm a doer. Guess what? When you walked the aisle and stood before someone and a great number of people and tried not to vomit on your shoes because you were so nervous... You became a leader. And if you're not ready to lead, you're not ready to marry. So young men in the room who are not married, if you're not ready to lead, you're not ready to marry. Old men in the room who are married, not even old. Let's just talk about those who are married in the room. If you're not leading, start. Start today. Make decisions. Where do you want to eat? This. Where do you want to go? There. Don't, well, I don't, it's up to you. Don't abdicate when you don't need to. like, that's not abdication. Of course it is. We're out for dinner. Ah, Whatever you want. Good job, Adam. Ouch. Second point. Men, if you don't know how Christ loved the church, and if you aren't prepared to love one woman the way that Christ loved the church for the rest of your life, you are not ready to be a husband. If you do not know how Christ loved the church, and if you aren't prepared to love one woman for the rest of your days you are not ready to be a husband. In the marriage vows, I use the words, do you pledge yourself to this and no other so long as you live? I do. Men, when you got married, your wife became the only woman in the world for you. And I hope that you are living in such a way that your wife is the only woman in the world. I hope that your wife knows that she is the only woman in the world for you. Maybe you don't know, maybe you're married and you don't know how Christ loved the church. It's time to learn. Single ladies, you also must know how Christ loved the church. Because one day, and I'm talking to my daughters. And I'm talking to your daughter. And I'm talking to all of you who have daughters in the room who are not yet married. Because one day a boy is going to come along. And you're gonna love how he looks at you and how he talks about you and how he talks to you. And he's gonna to promise to give you so much and to be so much. And he's gonna say, I'll do anything for you. And when he does, you look him in the eye, you young women, if you only ever hear one thing from me as a pastor, please hear me right now. When that happens, you look him in the eye and say, Would you give up everything you've ever had? Would you be humiliated for me? Would you be beaten? Would you be tortured? Would you die for me? Because that is how Christ loved the church. And if his answer is not only because Christ did it for me, walk away be done. Don't entertain anymore. If a man is not prepared to love one woman for the rest of his life the way that Christ loved the church, he is not prepared to be a husband, and I would say in whatever room, whatever setting, whatever situation I find myself with that couple, please don't get married. You're not ready. Men, that is what we're called to as husbands, Be a godly man. In order to be a godly husband, you must be a godly man, but if you are a godly husband, you must love your wife as Christ loved the church. The words of Ephesians say, husbands, love your wives. Not work at, not try to. We gotta work at it, we gotta try at it, but it says do it. Love your wives. Loving your wife as Christ loved the church is going to be infinitely harder than getting a job, than buying a house, than all those life decisions that we think are so important. What's a man got to do to marry your daughter? I'll tell you right now. He's got to be knocking down at least six figures. He better have his head on straight. He's got to have a house. He better be ready to provide for her. Oh, yeah, all those things, no doubt. Dad's in the room of daughters who are not yet married. If you're not starting with the spiritual character of the man that's interested in your daughter, you're starting in the wrong place and you're setting your daughter up to walk out the door without the Lord Jesus Christ. No. There's a lot of dads with young daughters in this room too. I've got my own, I pray for them. If you have a young daughter, I need you to know that I pray for you and your young daughter as well. The gauge for me used to be if a man shows up and... Mr. White, I'd like to take your daughter out on a date. And I open the door and see myself standing there when I let him go. When you open the door, dads, and you're the one standing there, is your daughter going with that man or not? That used to be the gauge for me. Now I'm much more interested in son, are you saved? Don't worry, I don't have shotguns out and I won't be cleaning them when you come home. I just want to know do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Because this might seem really strange to you, and it might seem like we're a weird, wacko people, but I'm not letting my daughter go anywhere with you if you don't know Jesus. And even if you do, I still might not let my daughter go anywhere with you. Right? Because, men, let's admit it. We know how to say, yes, sir. I sure do know the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I take your daughter somewhere now? Nope, not so fast. Come on in for supper. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Why? Why? Why did Christ love the church and give himself up for her? I want want you to see that. It came up uh, yesterday in our discussion, and here it is again. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christ's love for the church was sacrificial. We love to think about loving our wives. We don't love to think about giving ourselves up. That's sacrificial. Husbands, how often are you giving yourself up for your wife? How often are you putting the restraint on your wife to give herself up for you when that's not what Jesus did? Gave himself up for her. Why did he do it? Look, in verse 26, it says that he might sanctify her. Verse 27, that he might present the church to himself in splendor. That's purification, sanctification. That she might be, end of the verse, holy. Holy. Why did Christ give himself up for the church? That he might sanctify her, that he might purify her, that he might make her holy. Husbands, you're not just giving yourself up for your wife to free up time in the weekly schedule. You are loving your wife as Christ loved the church in order to sanctify her, to purify her, to make her holy. Do you understand? You are the example and illustration of the Lord Jesus Christ to your wife. And if you are not promoting her holiness, you're missing the mark as a godly husband. Our every move is to see that our wives, look what it says, are presented without spot, in splendor, no wrinkle, no such thing, no blemish. Not that your wife is perfect, but that Jesus Christ died, made a people holy unto himself. You also as a husband are making your wife holy unto you and no one else. Are you purifying? Are you sanctifying? Are you making holy your wife? God has made that possible for you. We are to be holy. Be holy as I am holy, God says. And if Christ made the church holy, then husbands, we are also to be making our wives holy. Are you promoting the holiness? of your wife. This goes back to a godly man being sound in faith, being a student of the Bible. Men, if your wife is saying, let's open the Bible, let's pray, let's talk about the things of God, let's go to the prayer meeting, let's go to church, let's go to worship, let's go to this. If your wife is leading all of that, Adam, you're standing somewhere watching her eat the fruit. Lead them. It's so easy. If you're in the room today and your wife is the one who instigates to you, let's read the Bible as a family. Let me show you how easy it is for you to fix that. Before she does that again, you say, wife, get the kids, let's read the Bible as a family. I'm not really that good at reading. Everybody in here has picked up little blue truck went rolling by. Pick up the Bible and read it to your family. I don't have any time. Poor excuse. I just can't fit it in. I'm sure you can't, Adam. Adam, where are you? I was afraid I heard you in the garden, so I hid. Good grief, men. Let's lead our families. Okay, I'm going to take a breath. (sighs) Proverbs 5.18 tells man to rejoice in his wife, to delight in her. Men, to delight in your wife. To delight, to find joy, to find enjoyment, to love. She's a treasure. What is there? I don't know, 100 some odd people in the room. But for you, husband, when your wife walks in, the room comes to a stop because you delight. In your wife. Remember Adam in the garden? What happened? As Adam was naming everything, there was no helper found fit for him. God said, Take a break, Adam. Adam fell asleep. He took the rib. He made the woman. Adam woke up. What happened? He brought the woman to the man. And the man said, At last, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. He felt that joy. He enjoyed. He delighted in his wife. Not his hobbies, not his work not as children, not as friends. Delight in your wife. Christ loved us and gave himself up for us and we adore Christ. We worship Christ for what he he has done. I dwelled on that this past week. I adore and worship Christ for what he has done. Husbands, does your wife adore and with reverence to the worship of God, does your wife adore and worship you for what you have done for her in your marriage? Wives, please don't worship your husband over the Lord. But as we gather here this morning and as we loudly sing songs of praise to God, as we enjoy fellowship, as we learn from the word, we, the church, the bride of Christ, are worshiping and adoring our husband. There is an aspect of worship and adoration that a wife should show for her husband. But husbands, Christ receives our adoration and our worship because he actually did what he said he would do. Lastly, need to be a good man, you may be a husband. If you're a husband, you may be a father. And you must be a godly man, you must be a godly husband if you hope to be a good father. Genesis chapter 18 We'll end in Genesis today. You can go to Genesis 18. You don't have to hold your spot anywhere. We're going to read one verse. Genesis chapter 18. I want you to see it in the pages of Scripture. One of these days, the Lord will give me permission to teach through Genesis, but I'll probably be 85 or so if the Lord tarries before that happens. Genesis chapter 18, verse 19. This is right on the cusp of Sodom and Gomorrah. This is Lot living in Sodom. It's a disaster. He chose to separate from Abraham. This is God coming to Abraham and giving the covenant to him. This is the three visitors who come to Abraham because Sodom is going to be destroyed and the Lord says, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Verse 19. For I have chosen him, Abraham, that he may command his children and his household after him, To keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. This is the patriarch of our Christian heritage. If you're here today and you profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, Abraham is your father. As little children, we sang and learned this in these simple words. Father Abraham had many sons And many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them. So are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Father Abraham is the father of our Christian heritage. God made him so. God says to him, Abraham, you are to command and guide your children and your household to follow me after you. Fathers, you are to shepherd your children with all diligence. I understand that in many homes, children are taught, and they are taught by their mother. In my home, my children receive a lot of biblical instruction from their mother. If in your home, children are only receiving biblical instruction from their mother, fathers, Adam, where are you? Children need their father. God commanded our Christian father, Abraham, to lead his children. You're like, well, no, we're not Jews, and I will make him the father of many nations. Jew and Gentile alike. Christians trace their roots to Abraham, and Abraham was to command his children after him. Fathers, are you shepherding your children? Are you leading your children? Deuteronomy 6, verse 7 says, when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, when you lay down, when you get up all the time. Boy, do I fail here. My kids know it better than anybody. You ask my kids, did your dad teach you about God all the time? No. No, I'm a terrible example at times. God forgive me and give me strength. Are you trying? Husbands, are you trying or are you leaving it to your wife? Don't put that on her. God didn't put that on her solely. It's a shared responsibility as we'll examine next week. Husbands, are you shepherding your children? I, I, I don't know how. I don't doubt that. It's very common that some may need more disciplined lives in order to teach their children. But it is your responsibility you are to do it. Father, you are to lead your family, your children. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Do not provoke your children, but teach them and train them and raise them in the way of the Lord. Fathers. It's a specific job. Unfortunately, much more commonly than I don't know how, men simply flat out don't make time to do it. The number one reason of why I don't lead my family in daily devotions of God's word, is because I don't prioritize it. I'm gonna help all of you men feel more comfortable. The reason it fails at my house is because I don't prioritize it. When I say, family, get your Bibles, have a seat, open up to Mark chapter 10 so we can continue reading about the life of Jesus Christ. You know what happens? Everybody in the house, except for the baby who doesn't understand, gets their Bible, sits down, and we talk about God's word. When you prioritize it, your family will prioritize it. We always find time to do what we want, don't we? I, I have plenty of time to do the things I want to do. And the reason it's so hard is because then I have to give myself up. To every parent in the room. Every parent in the room with children who are yet under 18. I want you to think, how old are they right now? Every parent in the room with children under 18. Mine are 12, 10. Two at eight years old, one at five and one at two. How old are they? Under 18, how old are they right now? How much time do you spend talking about God, the things of God, the people of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, belief in Him, salvation, repentance of sin. How much time do you spend, do you think about it? Under 18, in your home, how much time do you spend talking about the things of God with your children? a May 2023 churchleaders.com article cited that 70% of all high school graduates leave the church. That means at 18 years old, they're gone. 70% of them. After a decade, the article cites, nearly a decade later, about half of them return. From the day your child is born, and I did the math to make sure I was right, and someone can check me to double check that I was right. From the day your child is born, you have 6,570 days before they turn 18. My oldest is 12. I have about a third of that time left now. 6,570 days with them before they turn 18. Parents, hear me. You making God and the worship of God and the people of God and the things of God and the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, a life of repentance, a life of obedience to God's word, you making that a priority is going to help your children grow and not become a statistic that I promise you in 10 years is gonna be way more than 70%. I would be willing to wager that next year it will be higher than 70%. 70%. I'm not super good at doing math, but let's just say 75 for the sake of it. We got 20-some kids that come to youth group. If 75% of them are gone when they graduate, what does that mean? 15? 15 of them are gone when they graduate high school and we're left with five kids in the church. And then we sit around and we ask ourselves, why are churches so empty? Because fathers aren't leading their families. That's on me and you and us. We are the ones who preserve the faith handed down to us. Are we doing it? Deuteronomy 6.20, Moses wrote: When your children asks you, what does God mean by such and such? Go ahead and tell them it's okay, you'll figure it out. Ask somebody at school. Talk to your youth pastor. You know what God said through Moses to the people of Israel? When your children ask you, what does God mean by this? You know what God told Moses and what Moses told the people? You tell them. You tell them. Dad, I have a question about this. Son, I don't know the answer, but let's open the Bible and look for it. And then let's you and I, if I can't find it, how about you and I go and talk with the pastor or some other person? Let's, how, about, how about you and your buddy's Dad, and, and me and you? How about the four of us get together and we all four of us look look at how easy discipleship is? It's so hard, I can't do it. It's so easy, you can do it. Men, if you're not leading the way and teaching the Bible within your home, if you are not being a faithful priest in your home, it's time to start and please don't have children until you're doing it. My wife and I think we might have children. Are you ready to lead children in the ways and admonition of the Lord? Here's a litmus test are you leading your wife? Here's a further test. Are you leading yourself? See how it it dials back? I am a student of God's word. I will follow the Lord. I am a student of God's word. I'll follow the Lord and I'm marrying this woman. I'll do the same for her. We're having children. I'll do the same for them. It never ends. It never changes. You're always leading unto the Lord because you yourself are following the Lord. Men, you are called to be priests in your home. We dealt dealt with this yesterday at the men's breakfast and it was convicting even for me. How are you doing at being a priest in your home? Did you know the Bible never has anything good to say about unfaithful shepherds. Read Jeremiah to learn about unfaithful priests. Where are you, Adam? Single ladies, if he's not leading you to the scripture, get away. Get away. If, it, if there's never any talk about God, if there's never any talk about the Bible, if there's never any interaction at church, if you don't see in him a reflection of Jesus Christ, just get away. Married ladies, if he's not leading you to the scripture, it's time for you to pray more, and we'll talk about that next week. If God's word being opened in your home only happens during this hour on Sunday morning, your home is sick and unhealthy. The word of God must be opened. The world is going to hell, as the old preacher said, in a handbasket. And if you are not opening God's word in your home, you're doing everything you can to get your home in that handbasket too. Men, we have to lead our families. We must lead them in God's word. We must do better. Any man wanting to know more about this? I'm learning a lot as I go along. My kids are 12 so I've never done it to older kids but I'd be glad to talk with you. I've never helped teenagers graduate high school but when you get there I need you helping me. Men in the room, it's time for us to lead. It's time for us to lead first by being godly men. It's time for us to lead second by being godly men and godly husbands. It's time for us to lead third by being godly men, godly husbands, and godly fathers. And that's every man in the room who professes faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to pray over with you, and we'll sing and go today. Father, I pray, God, for us as men. Father, forgive us when we walk in the footsteps of Adam. Forgive us when we abdicate our role. Forgive us when we are unfaithful priests. Forgive us when we are not a provider, a protector, a strong leader, a Christ follower. God, I pray for the strength of every man in this room professing faith in Jesus Christ. So many varied situations, life circumstances. Father, I pray that you would help us in all of those unique stations, whether single, whether married, with children, with grown children. Father, help us to be diligent in your word, to lead. Help us to look to Christ We understand the responsibility is on us, so as we look to Christ, Father, give us strength to do what your word calls us to. Help us, Father, to be a faithful priest in our home declaring your truth. Father, help us to be godly men. And as we grow sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, Sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. Oh, Father, may our church grow in the quality of disciples that are being made as men lead as you have called us to. Help us to be a reflection of you to the world around us. Help us to fight the culture, not for the sake of fighting the culture, but help us to stand in your truth against the schemes of the devil. Oh, God, strengthen us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at infothevillagemi.com. At Until next time, stay in God's Word.